All right. Oh, we're so glad to have Amy Brown here with us today, um, speaking life into Moms for Mental Health, into um, just the familial and uh, personal journeys that we have with um, mental disease, challenges, hurdles, all of that. Um, Amy is a special needs mama who has dealt with both physical and mental health challenges with her kids. She's a writer and she's one of the leaders here with Moms for Mental Health. Um, she has a total of six kids. She's been married for a very long time. She hasn't told me how long, but I know it's long. Um, and we're just really thankful for her to um, be digging into this, um, the story of Hagar with us today. So I'm going to go ahead and pin Amy, mute myself, and we are um, just going to pray over you real quick. And then get started. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this um, time today that you have gifted us um, just to bring more love and light into this space of life, um, this wilderness and wildness that none of us expected and were probably not prepared for. But here you are still always. Thank you for Amy. Bless her as she speaks to us today. Um, in your son Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Um, when Jen talked to me about picking somebody from the Bible, a woman, I knew I would pick Hagar because she has touched my life in a lot of ways. Um, she's the original person that said, you are a God who sees me. She had two situations in her life where she had an encounter with God and she walked away from that encounter changed. And so I wanted to talk about those today because I feel like I can mirror some of her experiences in my own life. So here's what we know about Hagar before I read in scriptures. Number one, she was an Egyptian slave. She was a mother. She was used by Abraham to get pregnant. So against her will, she was given to Abraham. She was mistreated by her masters. She was rejected. She was trapped. She had moments of being desperate and she had no control over her situation. So the first time that we get to talk, to, we get to learn about Hagar is in Genesis 16. And the backstory is, if you don't know, Abraham and Sarah were old and wanted to have a baby and God promised them a baby, but it wasn't happening. So Sarah says to Abraham, take my maidservant. So he takes his maidservant, Hagar. And he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. Well, after that happened, Sarah wasn't very happy. <laughs> Imagine that. So anyway, Sarah said to Abraham, this is in um, Genesis 6. This is the first time that we hear of her. You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when you saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said, Here's your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. So Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away. So Hagar runs into the desert. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress. And God said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and there will be too many to count. 
You will conceive, you have conceived and will have a son and we will name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. And then she says, you are El Royai for this, in this place, I've actually seen the one who sees me. I'm touched by that because no matter what your circumstance, if you are seen, that makes all the difference. In this situation, she ran away and God didn't fix it. He didn't go, okay, I'm going to make Sarah be nice. He didn't fix it. He saw her and that gave her the strength to go back to the hard situation. And as I've said, when we're seen, that makes all the difference. And this is not a story we like to hear. And this is not a story in the Christian world we like to hear, especially with mental health. There's a lot of, you just need to pray more. You just need to say these Bible verses over your child or yourself. It's not okay to feel these things. And so this story of Hagar, especially in any situation, but I think especially in issues with mental health, is a story for us. Because God didn't change the situation. He changed her. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my upbringing. When I was a kid, young child, my parents were very, um, they were in a church that had a lot to do with prosperity gospel and faith healing. So not okay not to be whole. I'm use that in air quotes. <laughs> so as a little girl, I have deafness in my right ear. I still do, actually. Um, they just thought that I needed to be healed. So I went before a lot of faith healers. And this little girl would come away still not being able to hear. And the, and the message was, we just need to have enough faith. We just need to say the right words. And this is going to be whole. Now, I don't believe that thinking anymore. But there are definitely little threads of it in my own life. I've thought for a long time, especially having children with pretty significant mental health issues, it's hard living with kids with reactive attachment disorder. I have run to the desert like Hagar and thought, if I just say the right thing, if I just have enough faith, if I just find the right therapy, if I just do all the right things, this is going to be fixed. Because that was the picture of whole that I grew up with. So I'm encouraged. So in those situations, I was looking for God to be the solution to the problem. I was not looking for him to be my companion. And there's a difference in that situation. When you're looking for the solution, it's a transactional kind of relationship. But if you think about a time in your life when you have felt seen and heard, it empowers you to keep walking. And so as I've gotten older and have a lot more experiences with kids with issues, I've learned to walk into my desert with an idea that God is my companion and that we can walk back into whatever is hard like she did because we've been seen because Jesus sees us. He hears us and he provides for us. It doesn't mean it's going to be tied up in a nice bow. And I think that's one of the frustrations that sometimes I have with my kids and with the issues in our life that there is no solution except Christ, and that is him being our companion. So we can walk back into whatever our heart is because we know that we have been seen. And as I said earlier, being seen makes all the difference. 
So that is the first lesson I learned from Hagar is that she felt seen and was able to go back to what was hard. Um, that makes, that makes such a difference. So I'm going to go to the second one. The years go on and she, I don't know what happened in between. I I can't imagine that Sarah was all of a sudden nice, but maybe she was, <laughs> I don't know. But we, we see Hagar again after Abraham and Sarah have their own child, Isaac. Um, and I think Ishmael's, you know, I don't know how many years went by, but Ishmael is an older kid. And so once they have their baby, um, Sarah, once again, is not happy and ask Abraham to send um, Hagar away. So that's what he did. He sent her away. The first time she ran away, this time she had no choice. She got sent away. And in Genesis 21, it says, early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and water and put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered into the wilderness. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance about a bow shot away. For she said, I can't bear to watch my boy die. And while she sat at the distance, she wept loudly. And God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong? Don't be afraid for God has heard the boy crying. From the place where he is, get up, help the boy up and grasp his hand. For I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skin and gave it to the boy to drink. And then God was with the boy and he grew and settled in the wilderness and became an archer. So I can't imagine a worse, more desperate situation. She actually walked away from him because she couldn't bear to see him. And I actually looked up what a bow shot distance was. It's about 150 yards. So that's, she's not, she went as far away as she could. So she couldn't see him. Um, in this situation, it was different. She's still being mistreated and she's still in a hard situation, but she didn't have an option. And she was desperate and she was alone and she forgot that previous experience with God. And previously God said, you're going to have a son that's going to grow up, right? She forgot that. And I think that's really easy for us to do in our desert moments, forgetting how God has spoken to us before. So once again, God hears her. And what I love about this story is he opened her eyes for her to see something she hadn't seen before, which was water, right? I think Often in our dark, darkest moments, when we think nothing ever is going to be okay, there's no solution, there's no, that it'll never be good again, God always makes a way or shows us a blessing or water in the desert. Um, I've had moments like this in my life where things have happened that were beyond my control, that were just really hard. And I, I, I'm going to share one because this is a story that doesn't have like a happy ending where God fixed it, but God still showed me water in the desert. So about 20 years ago, I have, I have six kids. My first three are bio. My last three are adopted before we adopted our last three. I never thought I would adopt. It wasn't on my radar, but I had one of those moments in my life where God just dumped this idea in my head, in my heart. 
I think you need to adopt. I mean, it came out of nowhere. I jokingly say it was the adoption that was on our doorstep kind of thing. I mean, that never happens. Those adoptive moms know it's hard to adopt. So God said, gave us this idea or this feeling that we should adopt. And there was a little boy that needed adopted. So we adopted about 20 years ago, a little boy named Will. I was the first person to hold him. I brought him home to our house. He was with our other kids. He was our son. As the adoption was starting to work through, his birth father appears, had not been in the picture before. Birth mom had said, we don't know where he is. Well, he appeared and wanted to take custody of Will. Now, I'm not going to talk here about adoption. Adoption's complicated. And I don't want to come across as saying, oh, I was a better person than this person, because that's not how it works. The importance of bio parents are really important. So that's not what this is about. This is about a situation where I was so mad at God because this was not my idea, God. Really, it wasn't. I, I, it wasn't like I'd always wanted to adopt. God kind of supernaturally brought Will into our life, and then he took him away. So in that situation, it was heartbreaking. And I felt like Hagar, I was out here. He was gone. Will was gone. I had no choice in the matter. And I had a little choice because I chose not to fight for him until he was five years old. Because I didn't think that would be best for Will. Um, so I did make that choice. But he's little now. I don't think we're going to win. And I don't. That's just going to be harder on everybody. So I tell you the situation because after that happened, I wanted to point to all the ways that God had worked and like be mad at God. I would go every night after I put my other kids to bed and they were grieving and I would think about Will and I would think, wonder what he's doing. And I, since the day he left our home, I've never heard from him again. I have no idea what happened to him. So I would go outside and walk and I would be wondering, you know, are they taking care of him? Do they know that he spits up really easily? <laughs> I had all these like mom things that I was worried about. And I was so mad at God because it was such a, it seemed like such a clear path that, that Will came into our home. And there was no, there was never in my life been a reason I can point to that says, oh, this is why God let that happen. There isn't, honestly. But this is what I know. When I first would start walking every night, I would clench my fists and close my eyes and be like, where were you, God? But as I continued to work through this grief, God started to show me water in the desert. I stopped clenching my fist and closing my eyes really tight in an angry way. And I started asking curiously, where are you, God? That's a whole different way to ask God where he is, right? The first one is, where are you? I'm so mad. And those times are okay. Don't ever beat yourself up when you have those times. But if we can shift that, where are you, God, to a, where are you, God? I, I can't see it. I can't see the water in front of me. God always makes a way in the desert. Now, I wish I could say, you know what? Will ended up being this great person, and I heard all about him, and everything I did for that little boy made a difference. I honestly don't know. But I do know this. In the hardest, one of the hardest moments of my life, God made a way for me to keep going. He showed me his love. He showed me his grace. And in a situation like that, it's hard to grieve because you people don't understand it, right? It's not like you talk about it a lot. It's just a weird kind of weird situation. So 
What I think happens when we feel hopeless and we feel like nothing good can happen, that God opens our eyes and helps us see what we couldn't see before. The Bible is full of references to water. Jesus says, I am the living water. And if you drink, you won't be thirsty. The, he leads us beside the still waters. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, um, I will make a way in the desert and there will be rivers in the desert. I don't live in the desert, but I'm pretty sure that's not a common thing <laughs> from what I know about deserts. <laughs> he also says he will satisfy you. This is Isaiah in Isaiah 58. I will satisfy you in a sun scorched land and you will be like a well watered garden. So Jesus is with us in the desert. And so I think the thing that I love about Hagar's story and what we can learn from her, and here's what I want you to remember, is first of all, the lessons, there are lessons and ways that we see God in the desert that we would not see in the past year. We just wouldn't. When we have a lot of water and a lot of support and a lot of things going on that's going well, we don't see that part of God and we don't learn those lessons. And as hard as that is, that's where the blessing is, honestly, I think. Hagar's story teaches us that God is our El Roy, that we are seen and heard and loved by God. And whether you are running away from a situation like she did or you're cast out, God is always walking towards you, always, every single time. It may not seem like it, but it's true. He is our companion in the hardest moments of our life. And he provides streams of living water, regardless of what we're going through. Um, so as I think about Hagar and her lessons, I just want to reiterate that when we feel seen, that makes all the difference. And it's not a question of if you're seen, you are seen. Bottom line, you are. You may not feel like it. But God's character doesn't change in that. He sees you, he hears you, and he walks with you. So one of the things I was thinking about as I was doing this is thinking about a little reflection here. And let's go back for a minute to say the way that we change our posture to asking where God is, instead of closing our eyes and clenching our fists, can we ask it in a curious, with curiosity and with hope that we'll see him? So I have just a quick little reflection um, that I wanted to think about. I want you to think about a time that you were in the desert. Maybe that time is right now. Maybe that was last week. Maybe it was a long time ago. But I want you to think about a time that you were in the desert and kind of picture that in your head. Um, think about what you were feeling, what was going on. And then I want you to think. Ask, first of all, where are you? Where were you, God? Or where are you, God? With curiosity and with open eyes. I want you to answer where you saw God and where you felt seen. Now, if you're saying, I don't know, I can't, I I can't find anywhere I felt seen. Well, then ask God to show you, because if you remember, he showed Hagar. She didn't see the water, right? She was overcome with grief. So in this few minutes, You can ask God to show you. 
And I will tell you, as I was writing this this week, I had a situation where I basically did not follow my own advice <laughs> and was mad at God. And I stopped and go, wait a minute, where do I see him here? And all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, he's in the social worker that's working with my child. He's in this situation right here. So it's just a change of our perspective. So if that's something that I think would be a good thing for us to do. So think about your desert time. Ask God to show you. And then write down or pray or think about where you were seen and where you saw God. And we can do that for a couple minutes. And then I have a prayer. I want to read over you a blessing while we think about this. I'd like you to um, just close your eyes and listen to my words as you think about how God sees you. Humble and gentle one, you are rest for our souls. True vine and gardener, we abide in you. Nothing can separate us from your love. Help us to be still and know that you are God on earth as it is in heaven. Your grace is enough for us. And there is no fear in your love. We will not be afraid for you are with us. You are our refuge and our strength. Both the day and the night belong to you. We find rest in your shelter. You surround us with your love and your tender mercies. And you fill our life with good things. Peace of Christ, guard our hearts and our minds. In his name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Amy. You're welcome.